This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. My guest today is Dr. Jay Erickson, a family medicine doctor in the Flathead Valley and assistant clinical dean of the University of Washington's WAMI program, a residency track for doctors to practice in Washington, Wyoming, Alaska, Montana, and Idaho. And it's very clear that studies have been done and shown that the more primary care physicians there are sort of per capita, the healthier those populations are. Dr. Erickson and his colleagues operate at the sharp end of many of the challenges and opportunities in rural healthcare. Dr. Erickson, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. So tell us, where did you grow up and what did your parents do? Uh, I'm a native Minnesotan, so I grew up in a uh, small rural community in central Minnesota, Litchfield, and Mm -hmm. my parents were uh, both teachers, my father high school, my mother a grade school teacher. So describe your path into medicine. From um, you know middle school on, I was interested in healthcare and interested in the possibility of becoming a physician. So I became an ENT with our local ambulance service. It was back in the days when you had the the old Cadillac uh, ambulance, and so I served for the next four years um, on the ambulance service for our local community, as well as then becoming a orderly in our local hospital. Okay. So all that sort of interested me in sort of pursuing a career in health. So you were one of those folks that had a pretty direct notion of what you wanted to do from a very early start. You know, I grew up in a small community. My mentors were family physicians. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, they were the kind of docs that, you know, they delivered me. They took out my appendix. uh, And then it was interesting when I got to work with those physicians when I was in high school in the hospital, you know, I would see them come in in the morning at 6 a.m. and round on their patients and then uh, go off and uh, do their hobbies or whatever, and they were back at the hospital at 10 p.m. rounding on their patients again, and they just uh, they had such a uh, such a presence in that hospital, and they were so important and vital to the to the healthcare of the community. So it was something that attracted me. Absolutely. So before we get into the Whammy program and your work there, give us the state of play with healthcare in in rural Montana. What issues? are super salient at the moment. COVID probably revealed a lot of challenges and opportunities and areas for change. How would you describe what's happening in rural healthcare at the moment? Well, you know, rural healthcare has been on, I would say, almost a precipice for, you know, the last 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. When the ability to, to create the Critical Access Hospital Act came into being, that really helps sort of secure small rural hospitals and their funding. And so in Montana, we've been able to maintain a pretty robust uh, system of small rural hospitals. But um, COVID certainly exposed cracks uh, in that. And uh, I think there's a number of our hospitals that are in in the state that are really in in a sort of a critical state of survival. And so that's concerning because as these small hospitals close, you start to have longer and longer distances to access healthcare. And if you mm-hmm. think about rural areas, you know, I, I think about OB, how important it is to be able to have your child nearby and not have to drive 60 or 80 or 100 miles uh, in labor. And I think about uh, trauma, you mm-hmm. know, in a rural area, if you don't have access to a hospital and providers, 
uh, trauma care gets to be a real concern. So, and then of course you have just the day-to-day healthcare and chronic care that needs to be delivered. So, so I, I, I am concerned because I, I know what the financial bottom lines are of a number of these institutions and we're sort of in a really tough place right now. And then I think coming out of COVID, there's just um, a lot of stresses on the healthcare system. And I think we're really starting to see that in terms of, you know, lack of, of providers, early retirement, uh, just general burnout, but then all the other people that go into creating health, you know, the nurses, the uh, CNAs and MAs, as well as radiology and lab, all these things are just, it's hard to recruit to in rural areas, and there's a real shortage. And so hospitals are, I would say, it's rural healthcare is really in a crisis period right now, and we'll see where things go. Yeah, is it fair to say that that stress on the system in rural communities is a function of simple market dynamics? Like if left to a a free market, that those places might disappear? Is more subsidization necessary? Like what what are kind of some of the driving forces putting rural health care on that precipice as you describe it? I think, you know, we do have a health system that is market driven. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, you know, when you look at I have great colleagues in Canada, and I've been up there a number of times with medical education. And And when you have a market-driven health system, then, you know, you, you need to have a positive bottom line, right, whether yeah. it's the clinic or the hospital. And those market forces, you know, because in a small rural community, the majority, especially of, of their income and revenue, comes from either Medicare or Medicaid, which are, you know, federal and state programs. And much less coming from private insurance. And expenses have risen significantly since COVID, and uh, the reimbursement has not followed along. And so, you know, at some level, the if the market forces aren't there, um, these small hospitals, you know, don't have a savior. They don't have deep pockets. And um, I think you're going to see, you know, continued stress and closures. And the WAMI program through the University of Washington sort of sits as an intermediary mechanism in this in this market, right? What problem is the WAMI program trying to solve, and, and and how is it structured in a way to do that? Yeah, so WAMI stands for Washington, Wyoming, Alaska, Montana, and Idaho, and it's a it's a five state uh, decentralized medical education program. It started in the early 70s for us, and uh, and we've educated uh, over a thousand students in that program, and and the program is always meant to deliver um, access to publicly funded medical education for the residents of Montana, and it is our medical school. And more recently, over the last 15 years or so, we've been really focused on looking at what are our workforce needs, uh, the most acute workforce needs in the state, and then trying to help develop and design a, a medical education program that can help meet those needs. And so we have been focused on rural and underserved practices. And so for us, rural is, is pretty simple in this state. It's uh, it's any community that's outside the seven large communities in the state yep. sort of qualifies as rural. Although, you know, if you look right now, uh, Bozeman, Kalispell, Helena, Butte all qualify federally as rural. So, but we, we you know, we think of those as, as big cities, right? So, mm-hmm. so would it be fair to say that the sort of medical student who selects into the program has a predisposition to serve a rural population? And at the same time, the program puts those 
students in residencies in those communities where they can develop a bond with a community, but also sort of understand the rural dynamics in a way that that uh, an urban residency might not. Yeah, that's exactly right. We, um, as we start the admissions process and looking at our, our our students that are applying, we're very clear that we are looking for students who have a significant service background as well as evidence that they're focused on you know serving communities and and have that sort of work ethic. I remember talking with a student who had been accepted at some schools back east, and and he told me the reason I chose Whammy and UW was all the applicants I met and everybody that was focused on serving the underserved and service. And so that made me really feel good that we do have that vibe and our students have that vibe. And uh, so we've created a, a specific program in Montana, and now it's spread to the other states where we admit students who are focused on rural and underserved practice, um, and then they're matched with a community even before they start medical school and spend significant time before medical school in that community learning about healthcare in the community and how everybody comes together to serve uh, healthcare. And that program now uh, started in 2008, and, and we're starting to have some really good results of students returning and now becoming our faculty to teach. Yeah, and it's it's probably worth mentioning that University of Washington Medical School is an elite, typically top five medical school in, in the world. You know, so not only do you have elite medical education, but also a, a pipeline of top talent into these rural communities. So you're you're getting the best of the best in many ways, and allowing that sort of caliber of of clinician to be deployed into rural communities. Exactly right. We're we're really lucky in the state of Montana that we have this relationship with the University of Washington because our students, you know, they have access to, you know, the excellent teaching that goes on in this state with our physicians. We have over 650 uh, faculty at the University of Washington, but then they have access to the world-class researchers back in Seattle as well as um, access to training at at tertiary quaternary care centers at, you know, Seattle Children, Harborview, UW Medicine. And so it's really a, a beautiful blend, and our students, it's so fun to talk to them at the end of their training and that they really have valued the ability to, to train in this state and to have a majority of their rotations in this state, but then to be able to go back and spend time at those larger institutions yeah. and work with world-class physicians as well as those that are interested in research. They have an amazing opportunity to do you know, really high-powered research. So it is an expensive proposition to produce a physician, and it's an expensive proposition to hire a physician. Does the WAMI program address that in any way? You know, does somebody graduating the WAMI program have the same level of of debt that a typical medical student graduates with? And are the communities that the student is landing in able to pay at or, or are they subsidized in some way? It is expensive. Um, it is, uh, you know, medical education is an expensive proposition. And, and I, when I look around the world, you know, that isn't the case. But in the U.S., it definitely is. And um, But I always encourage students who are thinking of applying to, to not sort of use that as a barrier because, you know, it can seem daunting to end mm-hmm. up with $200,000 worth of educational debt. But there are many ways to sort of have that repaid. And in the Montana Whammy program, 
we have a program called the Montana Rural Physician Incentive Program. So okay. all students pay into that as in addition to their tuition. And if they come back to Montana and serve in a rural or underserved setting, again, maybe a, a, a mental health position in a, in a larger city, they can get up to $150,000 worth of loan repayment wow. over five years. That seems like a great uh, a great model. Speaking of physicians being an expensive resource, you know, lack of physicians can't be the only reason why rural health care is, is under stress. We talked about some of the other broader factors earlier, but what other shortages are there? What other sorts of resources, whether it's personnel or technology, do, do you think we need to invest in to keep our health care system in Montana and other rural states more stable? You're exactly right. It's a team effort to take care of patients and to think about the population health of a rural community. The areas that I think about and even think about technology, and we've heard about this a lot, is just access to broadband, right? I mean, yeah. to, I mean, I think, you know, whether it's education or it's health care, we need to have just equal access throughout uh, our whole state, and that's still not the case. And And I think it's really putting us at sort of uneven footing with more urban areas. And so I think that's a, a real place for investment is just to get everybody on the same page in terms of access. And, you know, I'd say transportation. When hospitals do their health appraisals, you know, always in the top two or three is transportation. And I haven't really spent a lot of time in urban areas, but when I have, you know, I use public transportation. It's sort of easy to get from point A to point B, right? But uh, in rural areas, everybody really needs to be able to drive. Yeah. And so, you know, access to uh, reliable transportation and the cost of transportation really affect health care. And so that's and that's not an easily uh, solvable issue. I think recruitment of all health providers yeah. um, is is a key issue and retention. You know, an example is right now about four percent of medical students were born and raised in rural areas, and wow. and twenty percent of the popu- population, of course, is is rural. So, so we're just producing less people that understand rural rural life, and I think probably the same goes in most of the healthcare professions. We'll be back to my conversation with Jay Erickson after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hey folks, on August 11th, A New Angle and The Right Question are teaming up for our first live event at the Wilma Theater. Justin and I will be helping the legendary David James Duncan launch his new novel, Sunhouse, a book 16 years in the making. Lauren and I will chat with David. David will read, and renowned singer-songwriter Jeffrey Foucault will illustrate Sunhouse in music. Montana Public Radio presents this evening of story, song, and conversation, August 11th at the Wilmot Theater in Missoula. Get your tickets now at logjampresents.com. Hey, this is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanas from ESPN Missoula, and you're listening to A A New New Angle. Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm speaking with Dr. Jay Erickson about the state of healthcare in rural Montana. Talk about that side of it. I mean, high school students in Montana interested in the sciences? How are we 
recruiting those sorts of students to enter into health sciences, how are we providing them on ramps to medical education? Because there's not a medical school in the state of Montana. I know enough to know that it's, it's probably an uneconomic prospect to create one. How are we recruiting students into the profession in a state like Montana? We have a real tight relationship with our, our AHEC, our Area Health Education Center okay. in, in the state, and they're also our Office of Rural Health. And they have a number of pipeline and ecosystem programs that reach across the state that start even in the primary school grades, but then certainly go up into the middle and senior high school so a couple things I would say that I've seen, you know, one is it's not necessarily common to go to college, right? So, I mean, that's if you don't have that mentorship to even go on to higher ed, you're not going to have that opportunity. And then number two is, you know, if they don't have health providers or mentoring health providers, even painting that picture of becoming a physician is not a part of what may be happening in a place like Missoula or Bozeman, where there's lots of access to health care and mentoring and, and uh, such. So... And then I'd say the other thing we've been involved with for a number of years that's pretty active in our state is HOSA, the Health Occupations, and that's a high school group that looks at health occupations, and they have local chapters in, in some rural communities, but also in urban, mm-hmm. and then they have a statewide meeting. But, you know, more and more, there's more exposure, but but certainly in our rural and our uh, uh, tribal and native areas, mentoring is is really a a needed effort and so yeah creating that awareness and opening up people's mind to the reality of of medicine as as a career path whether it's as a physician or a nurse or a pa or or a technician of some kind trying to illuminate those possibilities to students has to be a, a big lift as well yeah we had a student from a very small town in eastern montana and he graduated from high school and he was encouraged to uh go off and get his uh, JD degree. So he got uh, trained as a diesel mechanic for John Deere. That's his JD. And so he was a diesel mechanic. And then, you know, somebody said, you know, you're really smart. You should think about doing something more. And he did have the mentoring and encouragement to go back and get his undergraduate degree. And, and now he's just finishing his training as a physician. But, but again, it's just, you could sort of see that, you know, initially when he came out of high school, it's you know, you should go off and become a diesel mechanic, but his passion ended up being uh, healthcare and medicine. Yeah, so stories like that are illuminating. In in one sense, thinking about rural medicine, I might be relying on a stereotype here, but is it fair to say that that a, a rural physician has a line of sight into more? A more complete picture of a, of a patient's life. They're operating within a smaller community. They probably have social ties to their patients that that wouldn't exist in the same way in an urban environment. I'm just thinking the number of hats a rural physician has to wear is um, is a little bit more complex. Exactly. The we teach students in our clinic, and so I'm always talking to our students. I say, you know, family medicine in Seattle is different than family medicine in Missoula than it is in Columbia Falls, and then it's even more different in Libby or Lewistown. Mm-hmm. And the further you get away from referral centers, the broader your scope of practice has to be uh, for family medicine. I just want to break that down. So when you say referral center, meaning if you're uh, a general practitioner and you have access to specialists that you can refer patients to, in a lot of our areas here in Montana, we don't physicians don't have that network of, of referring providers. 
Exactly. So, again, I'll give the example. A, a, a teaching center for us is Lewistown, Montana. It's 100 miles from Billing, 100 miles from Great Falls. And so, you know, patients don't want to necessarily drive that 100 miles to go see a specialist. And so the physicians are required to have a broader scope of practice and be able to care for more um, you know, they may have a really sick patient, the weather's bad, they can't fly, so they're they're having to care for a sick baby or a sick patient. And so so that scope of practice is broader. But also then again, when you're living in a s- small rural community, you're exactly right. You're required to have lots of different hats that can even extend beyond the traditional health care. So uh, you can serve on the school board, uh, you can serve on the local baseball board, you know, there's just lots of different connections. And I think one of the things you have to be ready for as a rural physician is that you are going to be caring for your friends and uh, neighbors. And in a a large city, it's much more of an anonymous uh, practice. When I asked you about what sort of technological investments we need to make, I was thinking about things like different diagnostic tools and wearables and smart devices and the potential integration of artificial intelligence. You cited broadband as the as the number one technological need that we need to to meet. H- how does that operate with you know advances in technology that could make diagnosis and other medical services more efficient, less reliant on the expensive resource that is a physician's time? Yet, and some of the communities that might need it most can't really access it just because they don't have the the connectivity to the internet. Exactly. It's you know I I know we talk about sort of personalized medicine and sort of high tech and AI and such, but at some level, if you don't you know at at this point in time, if you don't have connection to the internet, I mean, this really came about during COVID. I mean, mm-hmm. we moved to uh, online visits, and it became very clear that. You know, if you're under 35 or 40, it was easy to do a Zoom connection with your patient. My older patients, it's like um, they don't have smartphones. They don't use the Internet. They do have a telephone. And so they have children that come over with their iPads and such. So you can talk about the use of all this technology. uh, But on the other hand, there's just the practicality of where we're at in society. And I would also say that there's, you know, there's a a technological divide, right, between rural and urban areas. I still think that people want a connection um, with a a person and a face. And it's very clear that studies have been done and shown that the more primary care physicians there are sort of per capita, the healthier those populations are. Mm. So I think there's going to be changes over time. I think the changes will occur sort of more slowly in a place uh, that's more rural and remote, but you don't want to get left behind. And that's where, you know, I think like the connectivity is so important. Sure. It's bizarre how this, you know, we mentioned briefly that medicine is largely a a market-driven system in the United States. It's led to some bizarre and, and in my view, suboptimal allocation of, of resources in a population. If you were to be able to wave your magic wand, how would you kind of redistribute both funding and talent across the system in a state like Montana? Yeah, I would like to be king for a day. Um, <laughs> I, I've, I've thought a lot about this, um, and I do, again, having been lucky enough to travel to Australia a number of times to look at medical education there in Canada and even to the uh, Far East, 
you know, having this market-driven, you know, essentially we have a profit-driven, you know, healthcare system, yeah. whether it's, you know, physicians, hospitals, pharmaceuticals, device manufacturers, insurance companies, everybody's out to make a profit. And we're really the only health system that has that sort of profit motive. You know, the rest of health systems are sort of set up around trying to improve the health of the populations they serve. And, you know, so I think it's going to, we're not going to have overnight changes. I think slow changes. Uh, I think the fact that we didn't have a public option in the Affordable Care Act was really unfortunate because there are health systems like the Netherlands and Switzerland where they have, still have private insurers, but have a public option. And I think a, a really strong public option that offered really affordable health care would be a, a step forward. And then I think, you know, at some level, you know, we spend generally two to three times more than most of the other developed countries in the world on health care and have poorer health outcomes. So it's it's really, you know, we've been sort of sold a bill of goods that says that we have the best health care in the world. And it's maybe we do if you can afford it, but, you know, we've just left large swaths of population behind and we still haven't figured that out. I think we're going to kick a bunch of people off of Medicaid here in our state. And so, you know, at some level, we need the ability to have everybody have access to health care. I mean, so there's just lots of areas we need work on, but it needs to be, you know, we need to have, you know, both parties working to sort of solve that dilemma. And I think continuing along a pathway where it's sort of profit driven and market forces just continues to spiral the costs upward. In Montana, we're talking about serving rural populations, deploying physicians and training and trained physicians into these communities. Are there any unique issues to tribal communities and and reservation populations that that the WAMI program addresses? Yeah, we've been heavily involved with uh, having our students educate in tribal communities. We have our we have programs up in Browning, down Ronan Polson, um, Harden on the Crow. And and so, you know, we understand. In fact, we take our whole class in the first few months. We go for about a, a three-day trip, and we take half the class uh, goes to Browning and half the class goes down to Harden and the Crow. And during that time, we sort of discuss um, the health disparities present mm-hmm. um, some of the cultural um, and historical issues, the historical trauma, uh, and then sort of what, you know, what are the solutions, what's being worked on. And so we really want our students to understand, you know, what's going on here in the state, and especially at a local level. You know, we've understood that, you know, gotten about 8% of our population is American Indian, and it really is our underrepresented group in medicine. We're actually working on a specific post-baccalaureate program right now. We, we got um, a development funding from the Montana Healthcare Foundation to develop a post-baccalaureate program. And it's really focused on American Indians. And again, I think just having our students have clerkship experiences in these communities and developing relationships is, is really important and, and, again, helping meet those workforce needs. Wonderful. So if there's a listener out there who, who's interested in learning more about 
your program, getting into medical education, or if the parents of, of high school students uh, you have kids that are interested in a medical career, where would you direct them? Where can they learn about Whammy and, and other resources to get there? Yeah, you can Google Montana Whammy uh, at Montana State. Uh, we have a, a website there. We also have, if you Google Montana Whammy and the University of Washington School of Medicine, uh, it'll take you to our website as well. Um, yeah, we're happy to to talk with anyone about medical education and what we're doing here in the state. Super. Well, Dr. Erickson, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for the work you do, and uh, be great to revisit later. Good. Thank you. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49 generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. Ella Hall is our production assistant. VTO Jeff Ament and John Wicks made our music, and Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot and see you next time.